Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Amen. Let me invite you this morning to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Won't be making that statement uh, again real soon, I don't suppose, because we're going to finish up the book of 2 Peter today. It's been a great blessing to me. I hope it has been to you as we've looked in this wonderful epistle from the Word of God. And I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to have looked in, in the Word of God with you at, at the book of 2 Peter. And uh, appreciate Hunter's message from 2 Peter as we were away and last Sunday Blake's message. And uh, now we're going to finish up this morning with this book from 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Really the conclusion, verses 14 through 18, we said the series could be entitled Growing in the Knowledge of Jesus, and that was based on this final verse here in in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 18. So with your Bibles open there, we're going to read verses 14 through 18, 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. I'm going to invite you once again to stand with me as we read God's Word together and we read these final verses together. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 14 through 18. The Word of God reads, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot, and blameless, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some hard things, or some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures." You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And again from this passage today, I'll bring a message entitled, How to Stay Ready till Jesus comes. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, thank you for this awesome privilege we've had to enter in your gates with thanksgiving and and come before your courts this morning with praise. We have so much, once again, to be grateful for, and I pray that our lifestyle will be that of giving thanks always and in everything giving thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. And so, Father, this morning we are so thankful Uh, for the Word of God. We're thankful for speaking to us through the Word. We thank you for inspiring Peter to write these words, Lord, that challenge us uh, to be diligent in our growth, to be diligent in anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be uh, diligent, to be on guard concerning false teachers who would lead us astray and, and Lord, uh, cause us to stumble or to be unsteady on our feet spiritually. And so, Father, I pray this morning you'll help us by the work of your Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, who indwells every heart and life of every born-again believer in this room today and all around the world. 
Uh, Lord, as our resident teacher, will you speak to us today to receive this truth, these truths, to apply them to our lives, to obey the Word of God as you speak to us. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'll have a spirit of brokenness and, and a teachable spirit, a spirit of humility, Lord, to receive the truth, to obey the truth. And Lord, we, we come today not to mere, merely be hearers of the Word of God, but to be obedient doers of the Word. So change our hearts, O oh Lord. Uh, be glorified in this time together. And Father, we don't know every heart and life in this room, but we know even in a, a crowd this size this morning, there are those who have yet to repent of their sin and truly place their faith and trust in Christ. And Lord, we are so fully aware that we cannot do this work in the lives of people, that only the Word of God used by the Spirit of God can awaken hearts and lives to their need for Christ. So please do your work in the lives of unbelievers that this day would be for them the day of salvation. Be glorified in the outcome of this time together is our prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Martin Luther said, I live as though Christ died yesterday, rose again today, and is coming again tomorrow. Like Luther, we should be people who have a faith uh, in the past completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and also a, a hope. And remember when we use the word hope as believers, we're not speaking about a maybe so, possibly so, but an absolute certainty so. In fact, we could say that, that uh, one of the main themes of the book of Second Peter is this word certainty, to be certain. And so we, have, we live with the certainty of Christ coming uh, and, and that he's coming to rescue us. We've seen already that involves both coming uh, to punish sinners, but also coming to rescue his saved sinners. And so in that way, we live here and now reflecting the character of Christ. Well, Peter begins his final section uh, with the words, therefore, in verse 14. And you know by now that uh, many of you, at least, that when you see a therefore in Scripture, you always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And so this therefore ties back to the previous uh, words and specifically verse 13. He says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for, the, for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He's been dealing with all of chapter 3 with this truth, this doctrine of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though the false teachers, quite clearly false teachers, were teaching against that. We're saying this is not uh, going to happen. Christ didn't promise this. This is not going to happen. And so they were, they were seeking to, to sway the people uh, to not believe in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but Peter, uh, as well as many of the other New Testament writers, including the Lord Jesus himself, uh, very clearly taught the return uh, of the Lord Jesus that just as surely as he came that first time, he is coming again. And so we as believers then are called to, uh, he said in verse 13, since you look for these things. And the word look here uh, means eager anticipation. And that is how we are to live our lives, with eager anticipation. That's why uh, John said, we uh, closes out there in Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We are anticipating, Maranatha, we're anticipating and living with the expectancy of Christ's return, or we are supposed to, as Scripture instructs us. But he commands us here in verse 14 to be diligent. The word diligent, of course, 
comes from a word which means to hasten to do something, to take great pains in accomplishing a task. Does that describe your lifestyle, by the way? Are you a diligent believer? We're more than once told to do that. And, and Peter more than once in the, in the epistle of 2 Peter has, has admonished us to be diligent. And while this primarily applies to verse 14, uh, it also applies really, I believe, uh, to all of the six points we're going to consider this morning on how to stay ready till Jesus comes. So consider those with me this morning. How to stay ready till Jesus comes. First of all, be diligent in pursuing purity and peace. Be diligent in pursuing purity and peace. Remember that again, that means to hasten to do something, to take great pains in accomplishing a task. So we are, we're called to be diligent in pursuing purity and peace. Peter charges uh, his readers to be, and that includes us, to be diligent, to be found by him, to be found by him. The Lord Jesus is coming for his church. Amen. And we are to be, we're, we can't hide from him. And we certainly as believers don't want to hide from him. We are anticipating that. So, so a good question to ask yourself today, if the Lord Jesus came this day, how would he find you? How would he find you? Would he find you being diligent? Would he find you, uh, again, taking great pains at accomplishing the tasks that he has given to us? And specifically here, will he find you uh, pursuing purity? Will he find you pursuing peace in your life? He uses two words to describe this purity. The first one is spotless, or your translation may say without spot. You remember those words? Who are those words used of? Peter used them in 1 Peter to describe the Lord Jesus. And as you read the Old Testament, every time I, I see that phrase in the Old Testament, uh, that it's in reference to the sacrifices the, that are to be offered, they're to be without blemish and without spot. Every time I see those, I circle those because who are they pointing to ultimately? The Lord Jesus, who Peter said is, uh, that it was a sacrifice offered up without blemish and without spot. And so he's calling us to be this way. He's, uh, he calls us to be holy as he is holy. We know that's impossible in and of ourselves, is it not? That is only possible by being cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. His precious blood cleanses us. And, and so here he speaks of, of, again, having no mark or stain. And again, it speaks of a pure and a clean heart. Uh, again, the other word used is, is blameless, and, uh, which means to be above reproach. Uh, I taught that in Nigeria because that's one of the, one of the uh, requirements for, for pastors, those in leadership, uh, and really all believers, we're called to be blameless, which means to be above reproach. Again, having no glaring sin that anyone can rightly accuse us of. Now, can people wrongly accuse us? Absolutely they can, and they will. They did the Lord Jesus, who was without blemish, without spot, but they wrongly, they lied about him, and that can happen to us as well. Uh, but, but, we, but they cannot rightly accuse us, and that's what God calls us to. And again, that is only possible through the, the blood of the Lord Jesus, cleansing us from sin, 
on a, on a, uh, a, a positional way in which God does in our lives, but also in a practical way as he cleanses us and by his power, by his grace, the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to live this kind of life. Philippians 1.27, Paul said, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word worthy is a word that speaks of weight. Our manner of life, our daily life and living is to weigh as much as the gospel. We know, of course, we've already said the gospel has to be proclaimed. We don't merely declare the gospel by our lives. We declare the gospel through our lips, but we must have a life that backs up what we proclaim. And, and so again, John says that living in expectancy of Christ's return spurs us on to pure and holy living. First John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, John was inspired to write, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So we're to live our lives in this way, again, looking for, anticipating, eagerly expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and John says that is a, a tool uh, to motivate us toward holy living so that we're pure as the Lord Jesus comes. But also we're to be diligent to be found in or at peace as well. You know, the Bible speaks about, of course, the peace with God. Uh, Romans chapter 5, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That happens the moment we repent of our sin, place our faith in Christ, and we're no longer enemies with God. So again, that's the question uh, for your heart today. Are you at peace with God? Have you experienced that peace that comes in which uh, the Lord Jesus' blood is applied to your heart and life? You're cleansed, you're made right with him, you're declared righteous, and you're no longer God's enemy. Has that occurred in your life? Are you certain of that? Do you have peace with God? There's the peace of God, which Philippians describes, that guards, the Bible says, our heart and our mind. Uh, It sets a guard over our heart and mind and enables us to live without anxiety in our lives and not worry. And that, those, uh, the peace with God and the peace of God also enables us, by the work of the Holy Spirit, because that is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, enables us to live at peace with others too. You see, the person who is always stirring up trouble is always just looking for problems and is probably someone who's not has, does not have peace with God and is not experiencing the peace of God for certain. Because again, when we are uh, experiencing peace with God and the peace of God, then we really, and are, we're anticipating the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't worry over and we don't fuss over things that won't really matter in eternity. Because that's what gets us in trouble. When we're thinking about, we're dwelling on and thinking on things on this earth. But when we're thinking about eternity, we, we're not worried about those little things. As Junior Hill used to say, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. And we live that way. They have that kind of attitude. Uh, so does that describe you? Are you, again, someone today who's diligent in pursuing purity and peace in your life? As you are, this helps you to stay ready till Jesus comes. 
I read that, that in northern Europe and Asia, there's a little animal called an ermine. I think that's the, maybe it's the way it's pronounced. But this, is a, this little animal is known, especially in the winter, for its snow white fur. And, and it's also popular among uh, trappers and uh, uh, fur hunters. Uh, and, and they don't set a trap for this little, little animal. Uh, this little animal, again, is snow white, and so it guards its white fur. Uh, it takes great pains to keep itself white and clean, and, and really, that takes that very seriously. So instead of trying to trap the little fella, what they do is they just go, they find its home in the rocks or, or wherever, and then they go and they, uh, they, they, they smear uh, dirt and mud and things like that all around the entrance and inside. And then they turn their dogs loose to try to track the little, the little animal, the ermine. And uh, when, they, when, he, when they get on his trail and uh, he's frightened and he begins to run toward his home, but when he gets there, he won't enter his home because he will not allow himself to be soiled. He won't allow his pretty white fur to be soiled. So he becomes the, uh, the object then of the hunt. And, uh, and so, but, so in other words, he, he, he considers his purity more precious than life. And believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we consider our purity in Christ and our testimony for Christ to be more precious than life, then the Lord Jesus is going to be honored. I know we're all hearing and quite frankly disgusted with everything we're hearing in the news this day about impurity. But again, while, while believers can be falsely accused, we are to live above reproach and, that we, and we are to consider as the little ermine that our, that our purity is more precious than life. Then we will be helping ourselves to stay ready till Christ comes. Would that describe you today? Secondly, in order to stay ready till Jesus comes, be diligent in proclaiming and responding to the gospel. Be diligent in proclaiming and responding to the gospel. Notice again, verse 15, he says, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Paul reminds us here again as, as he's thinking about the long suffering, the patience of our Lord. And this again is referring back to what we've already seen as well. Second Timothy, excuse me, Second Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's saying here we are to address or to rather to regard or to count this delay of the Lord Jesus. That's what he's describing. He's describing the de delay of Jesus coming. Because again, these false teachers were saying, hey, he hasn't come. He's not coming. And so, uh, so he said, look, regard the delay of the coming of the Lord as, as salvation. See it, uh, first of all, again, as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. As believers, God is giving you more opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Many of us were with family members during the Thanksgiving holidays, and many of us were with family members who were not believers. 
Did you avail yourself of opportunities? Were you praying for and looking for opportunities during those times to proclaim the gospel? Or, quite frankly, were you just looking at uh, at a time to eat more, right? uh, you know, enjoy some good food? Well, we, most of us did that, and that's okay. Uh, but were you looking at, at it as a gospel opportunity, as an opportunity to, one more opportunity to proclaim Christ? Uh, again, that's what the delay of the Lord's coming is about. We should see it as that opportunity and to avail ourselves of that. And so again, knowing that, that that is our responsibility, you have been given a stewardship of the gospel. We, we always think of stewardship in terms of finances, and that's part of it, and our possessions, that's part of it. But you, God has given us believers the stewardship of the gospel. What are you doing with it? You're going to one day give an account to the Lord of what you've done with the gospel. So here's a good question to ask you. Can you share the gospel? Can you proclaim the gospel? If, if I were to stop right now and we were to go around the room and say, uh, give us the gospel today, could you do that? Can you honestly tell people how to be saved and, and how, uh, what the gospel is and how people can respond to the gospel? So see uh, this and, and be diligent in proclaiming the gospel. But then also be diligent in responding to the gospel. You see, if you're an unbeliever today, Jesus' delay in his coming means for you greater opportunity, more time to respond to the gospel. And so God in his grace has given you more opportunity, unbelieving friend, to respond to the gospel. And I could be speaking today to, to and I know uh, many today in this room today are believers, but what about you? Has, has there genuinely been a time in your life when you repented of your sin and place your faith in Christ, do you not see that, that, that God is giving you greater time and more opportunity to respond to the gospel because there will come that time when those opportunities will be over? It could be in your life. It could be because of your life. There are many this weekend on the highways that, that their life was taken from them because, uh, again, through, through an accident or whatever. And, and so it could be because of the end of your life. But, but again, it certainly will be, we know that the return of Christ is going to mean no more opportunity to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. So that's why today we call on you today. We invite, we urge you, Romans 2 4 says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God warns in Hebrews 3, 7 and 8, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So unbelieving friend, we invite you today to respond to the gospel. Acknowledge today that God is your creator and that you are accountable to him. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. All have sinned and fall short, come short of the glory of God. Acknowledge your sinfulness, your separation from God, that you are deserving of eternal hell because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means separation from God now and for eternity. Do you believe that? Will you acknowledge that today? And then will you respond to what Christ has done for you? Jesus died for your sin. The Bible says that on the cross, that that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. The Bible says that, that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He was buried and He rose again and he's alive and he's coming again.
And today the Bible says that if you will repent of your sin, in fact, the Bible says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Paul said, I preached everywhere repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We call you today to repent, turn to your sin. God has given you opportunity by delaying his coming. He's given you opportunity to repent and believe the gospel. We invite you to do that today. And again, professing believer, those who claim to know Christ, but may need to examine today, as 2 Peter 1.10 says, we've already seen, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So again, be sure you've had the experience of salvation, but then also be sure you give evidence of genuine salvation. Thirdly, be diligent as we're preparing for and and, and ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and staying ready. Be diligent in accurately interpreting Scripture. Be diligent in accurately interpreting Scripture. Again, a lot of what Peter was dealing with was false teachers in this time. The second part of verse 15 goes, goes on to say, "...as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him..." has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. And I believe we could sum this up and say, be diligent in accurately interpreting Scripture. Peter's made reference here to the, to the consistency of what he is teaching with the writings of Paul. That's a, that's a great important word there. All of Scripture is consistent with one another. That's one of the ways we know uh, its truthfulness is because, again, it is consistent. But Paul, he, Peter here calls Paul our beloved brother. Uh, it's, it's very interesting and, and encouraging, really, when you think about the fact, if we, as you study and read the book of Galatians, when you read Galatians chapter 2, we read about an, an, an event that had taken place some 20 years earlier. And uh, Paul, fairly new believer at that time, but he came and, and, and he found there uh, Peter, along with some other believers, including Barnabas, his dear brother Barnabas, but he found that, that, that Peter uh, was unwilling to eat with the Gentile believers. And there were some other Jews there, Jewish believers, and they were not willing to fellowship and eat with the, the Gentile believers. Even after Peter had had that vision from God telling him that what he's declared clean, not to call unclean, but he just kind of slipping back to his old Jewish ways, if you will, of, of separating himself from Gentiles. Paul rebuked him for that. And even so it's recorded in Scripture about, about what happened. Well, we don't, we don't read a lot about what Peter's response was, but I believe we are right here in this passage. Peter received that. Peter was teachable. He was humble enough to say, you're right. And, and, and I believe therefore repented of that. And obviously something happened there that just changed his heart. He was reminded once again of the truth of, of, the, of what God does in the hearts and lives of people and how that we are no longer Jew and Gentile in Christ. That God's removed all those barriers that one time, at one time separated. So even making these statements are, is a clear indication of Peter's affirmation of Paul and of his receiving of that correction. He also acknowledges here uh, that... Um, 
that Paul's writings were hard to understand. Uh, and we, we, uh, we don't know specifically which writings he's talking about, but we could understand that. But we could also probably say, Peter, some of your writings are hard to understand too. But we believe that they're all inspired by the Spirit of God. Uh, and, and we know that they are. But he goes on to say that one of the things that these false teachers were doing is they were, they were twisting or distorting these writings of Paul. They were trying to distort them. And in, interesting word used here is word, a word that was used of a, of a prisoner placed on a torture rack. And, and in that process, they're twisted on that torture rack in order to kind of try to produce some kind of confession out of them. And so he's saying that's what these false teachers do, these unsteady, unstable people. They take these writings of Paul and they twist them to, to try to back up what they want to say. Same thing that false teachers do today. They take Scripture and quote them out of context and use them inconsistently with the rest of Scripture and, and uh, to get them to say what they want them to say. And he goes on to say another word of affirmation by saying, as they do the other scriptures. What is he saying in that? He's saying the writings of Paul are scripture. The word of God is affirming itself here. Peter is affirming that the writings of Paul are scripture. Just as the Old Testament is scripture, so the writings of Paul. So again, he's, this is the affirmation of the Spirit of God that the New Testament is equally inspired with the Old Testament. So again, we're called to be diligent in accurately interpreting the Scripture. Several things we can say about that. First of all, all Scripture is equally inspired. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is, in, is given by inspiration of God, is breathed out by God. Literally every Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is equally inspired. Secondly, some passages are difficult to understand, but not impossible. You know, uh, it's okay for us as teachers and as believers to some say, to sometimes say, I don't understand that yet. I don't fully comprehend that. Uh, and, I, and, and it's beyond my ability. My, I'm not there yet. That's okay. Uh, and, and that, therefore, thirdly, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand Scripture uh, in His timing. Uh, John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. So we need to rely on Him to teach us. Number four, be diligent to accurately interpret Scripture. You know, we used to, uh, I used to, uh, I majored in English in in um, college, and what that basically means is I took a lot of literature courses, you know? And so we would get together and we would talk about, uh, you know, Spurgeon, or I mean, not Spurgeon, um, that other guy, uh, all of a sudden. Shakespeare, thank you, thank you. And uh, <laughs> we'd get together, and, or we'd talk about this poem and what this writer meant and what he, what he means here. You know, we, you know what we would do, basically? We would get together and pool our ignorance, okay? Well, you know what? We don't do that with the Word of God. You know, it, it really doesn't matter what I think about it. Uh, it's God's got a, a word for us, and there's a truth there, and we need to dig for it and seek the Holy Spirit's 
direction in it, to understand what he says. And, and, and we have a responsibility. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, again, we, the King James word is study, but literally it's do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is a serious matter. We have a serious responsibility to rightly handle the word of truth. So again, a good question is, are you being diligent? Are you seeking diligently to accurately interpret Scripture? That's a word that God has for us. Number four, to stay ready till Jesus comes. Be diligent to guard against error. Be diligent to guard against error. Again, uh, in verse 17, he, uh, he says to us, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Paul gives a similar word in Ephesians 4.14 when he talks about being carried away. And the word carried away, uh, it speaks of being led as a group. So that would say to us, I think, don't be, uh, don't be fools yourself by false teachers who may have a large following. Their desire is to lead as many astray as possible. And quite frankly, uh, false teachers have uh, the enemy himself on their side, and he's working to deceive people. So don't be surprised by that. The word, prog- uh, the word here, uh, 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 the word prognosis comes from the Greek word that is translated in our text beforehand. Beforehand, you know what a prognosis is? That's basically when you go to the doctor and he tells you that if you keep going the way you're going, this is what's going to happen to you. So it's kind of like a warning to you. So Peter is giving us a prognosis about this false teaching. He, he's saying, listen, if you, don't, if you don't guard against false teaching with the truth of God's word, you're going to be carried away into error and to immorality to your own destruction and that of others. There are, there are whole uh, cults, but even, quite frankly, folks, there are some, uh, there are some uh, churches and um, denominations, if you will, that have within them uh, some false teaching that leads people astray and even leads people to their own destruction. It teaches them to trust in themselves, or it teaches them to trust in baptism for salvation rather than trusting in Christ. That is a doctrine that leads to destruction because people are not trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. So, so he's warning us. He's warning that by these, that, that these, by these false teachers, he said, are going to cause you to lose your steadfastness. They didn't say lose your salvation, but lose your steadfastness or your stability. It means losing your foothold. And, and, and interestingly, this is the same word. Well, it's the, it's the noun form of the verb that Jesus used in Luke twenty two thirty two 32, when he was warning, warning Peter about his uh, going falling astray, if you will, uh, when he was warning him about denying him, predicting his denials. And then he said in 22:32, "When once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." So Peter lost his foothold for a little bit, didn't he? Because he denied the Lord Jesus. But he repented and he returned. And now he's doing what Jesus said. He is using this opportunity to strengthen his brothers and sisters in Christ again so that they will not be led astray by false teachers and false teaching and lose their foothold. You know, there are many teachings today that we take a stand on because we believe the Word of God that are very unpopular. 
I'll name a few. It's unpopular today to teach that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that to believe anything else other than Christ and Christ alone for salvation will lead a person to hell. That to be a part of any religion or anything that trusts in anything but Jesus means eternal hell and separation from God. That's unpopular. It's unpopular to to teach that homosexuality is sin and that homosexual marriage, though it may be legal, is not marriage at all. It is, not, it is contrary to the Word of God. That's not popular to teach that. It's unpopular to teach today that, that cohabitation uh, apart from marriage is sin. It's unpopular today to teach, uh, again, that, that, uh, that the primary roles of leadership in the church, uh, uh, many are, are to be held by men, and, and, uh, and that's and that true to be, men are to be leaders in the church, but also in their home are to take these roles uh, as God has designed in Scripture. It's unpopular to teach that church discipline for unrepentant sin, including forsaking of the church, is a biblical mandate that we're called to as God's people. These and other thing, other teachings uh, of Scripture are labeled uh, as intolerant. But dear friend, we must stand firm. At the same time, at the very same time, we communicate that God loves sinners. And that we love sinners because, again, we are sinners saved by grace. And so, our, so we take a firm stand against sin, but we love sinners. And we proclaim the gospel and we say to, to uh, any of the people that I, that I above name that, yes, we love you. And that we reach out to you and we invite you. Uh, and we want to share the gospel with you. We want to love you. We want to be your friend. And, uh, but we want you to know Christ and his forgiveness. And we, want to, and we want you to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that forgives sinners. Amen? So be diligent to guard against error. Number five, be diligent in growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Notice verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word growth in itself is a, is a beautiful word. What does growth indicate? Growth indicates life. You see, dead things don't grow. Growth indicates life. So, so for the Lord to call us through Peter to growth indicates that we have the life of the Lord Jesus Christ within us. Uh, only those who have eternal life, the life of Christ in them, can grow. We can't grow apart from His life. Second, growth is a continual yet gradual process. Growth is a, it's not instantaneous. We don't just, uh, you know, someone said it takes uh, only six months to grow a squash, but a hundred years to, to grow an oak tree, perhaps. And so, uh, so this is a, a continual but a gradual process that doesn't end till Jesus calls us home. Uh, and again, growth requires diligent effort. Back to chapter 1, we, we saw there that uh, first, the very second message that Hunter preached on, on this matter. We are to be diligent in our, in our growth, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and so forth. It's a, it's a matter of, of responsibility we have to grow with diligent effort and to do what we need to do in order to do that. So what, is, what does it mean to grow in grace? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I am growing in grace if I have an increasing sense of my own sinfulness and unworthiness, if I see more and more the blackness of my own heart. 
Stephen Cole says it, to esteem yourself less and esteem Christ more is growing in grace. To grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, again, means to grow in the knowledge about Christ. We come to know about Christ more as we study the Word of God, as we see how He's revealed Himself in Scripture. And in the process of growing in our knowledge of Christ, we grow more like Christ. We grow in the likeness to Christ because that is the process of, the, of sanctification is God working in us to grow us to the image of Christ, to the likeness of Christ, growing in the knowledge of Christ. We do that, of course, through the Word of God and through prayer. Peter said back in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes desire, sincerely desire the, the sincere milk of the Word, the pure milk of the Word of God. So just like a little baby is st- starving for that Milk, so we are to starve for the Word of God. That is how we are to be in our hunger, desiring for the Word of God. And of course, through prayer, by spending time with Him, we come to know Him better, and we are grown more and more in the likeness of Christ. Peter, uh, Paul, rather, after many years of knowing Christ, in Philippians 3, 10, and 11, says that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection, and may share, there's the word fellowship, koinonia, share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if by any means, any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul said there that also through sharing in the sufferings of Christ, we grow in likeness to Christ. And so we don't ask for suffering. We don't have to. We, we know that Scripture teaches us that when we're living godly, we're going to suffer persecution. We're going to experience trials in our life. And God uses His thing. We don't have to go looking for them. They are just a part of life. But we also should not consider them our enemy. We should count them all joy, said James. Because again, these are the tools that God uses to grow us in our knowledge of Christ and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in the grace of Christ? Uh, do you have the attitude of John that for, for, for you to decrease and for Christ to increase? Can you look back on your life over this past year and see that you have become more like Christ, that you've grown in Christ? You may not be a great uh, in, in, in one to judge that, but you might just ask your spouse or your family members or your friends, can you see that, that I'm growing in Christ? Can you see changes in my life? Uh, and where are areas that I need to grow more in the likeness of Christ? Again, as we come to the conclusion of this year, I want to challenge you to think about something to aid your growth in Christ. We've been doing a, for several years now, every two years, reading through the Bible, not just to be lazy so that we don't have to go as fast, but I like the two-year plan because I believe it gives us more opportunity to really concentrate and think through and meditate on, and you can add other things to that as well. I read through the Psalms as well. But I challenge you as we end this year and start anew and for you to think right now about incorporating in your life reading through the Bible in two years, and we'll give you more information about that. But that, the Word of God is absolutely essential in our growth in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Number six and finally, we're going to stay ready till Jesus comes. Be diligent in always giving glory to Jesus. He closes out. Verse 18, by saying, to him, to Jesus, 
be the glory both now and forever. This is a doxology. Uh, it was a confession, really clearly, of Christ's deity. Uh, a, a Jew certainly would have known Isaiah 42, 8 that said, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor praise to carved idols. God, Jehovah, Yahweh God says, I will not share my glory with another. Well, Jesus is saying, and the word of God says, give Jesus glory. What does that say? Jesus is God. It's acknowledging his deity, that he alone is worthy of glory. In fact, Jesus made it clear that this glory was due to him just as with the Father. In, in John 5, 23, he said that all, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. One commentator said the supreme honor belongs to Jesus Christ now and forever. And forever literally means, again, in the age to come. He's looking here uh, to the day of the Lord. He's pointing to the day of the Lord when Christ is going to be manifested in all of his glory, when he's coming again, as John three, as, as 2 Peter 3 is certainly teaching. And again, at that point, we're going to be gathered. Uh, he's going to gather us as his church. He's going to take us to be home to, home to be with him. We're going to gather around his throne. We're going to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see his revelation. Chapter 5, verse 12 says, we're going to sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And we're going to do that forever and ever and ever. So what a wonderful thing, giving Jesus glory now and forever. So right now we can do what we're going to spend eternity doing. We can live our lives to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to give him all the glory that is due to his name. And in so doing, we're helped to be ready for the Lord Jesus, to stay ready until he comes. Jonathan Edwards had a number of resolutions that in, early in his young life, he he wrote down so that he would uh, daily uh, think about them and, and be committed to them. Resolutions in his life. One of his resolution, resolution 10, I think there were about 70 of them, but number 10 was he said, when I feel pain, to think of the pain of martyrdom and the pain of hell. To think about lost people who are going to spend. When I, when I have any kind of pain, I think about, well, this is, what about this compared to the pain of believers in Christ who who are laying their life down, they're experiencing the pain of martyrdom, but also the pain of eternal hell. But also in, 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 in Resolution 55, he said, I'm resolved to endeavor to my utmost to act as if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and the torments of hell. To have already seen the happiness of heaven and to know that I'm already seated with Christ in heavenly places, but also that I might know that I've seen the torments of hell. I believe in summing that up, he was in essence saying, these are, these are resolutions that I have to help me live today as if Jesus could come this day. I can live and stay ready until Jesus comes. Well, let's think a moment about several things we've talked about today and how we can apply them to our lives. First of all, determine that purity of heart and life are more precious than life. Did you think about that today and determine that in your heart? 
Secondly, regard the Lord's delay in coming as an opportunity to repent of your sin and to believe the gospel. If you're here without Christ, once again, God's given you that opportunity to respond, and we urge you today to come in repentance and faith. Thirdly, as a believer, to see this delay in his coming as more time for you to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers this week. This week. Fourth, be diligent in, in guarding against error and in accurately interpreting Scripture. Guard against error and recognize what a weighty matter it is to, to accurately interpret Scripture. Number five, seek to continuously grow in Christ through the Word of God, through prayer, through serving, and through responding appropriately to the suffering that you will experience. And number six, endeavor to glorify Christ in everything you do. In fact, one friend of mine said that one great way to evaluate decisions in your life is to always ask, what would bring Christ the greatest glory? What would bring Christ the greatest glory? That's how life is to be lived. And that's how we can be helped to stay ready until Jesus comes. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.